Good morning. Our scripture comes today from the 51st Psalm, a psalm written by David after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin. He writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Let's pray for Pastor Mike as he comes this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for uh, Pastor Mike and for the words that you will speak through him, God. We ask today that your Holy Spirit would fill him, that he might proclaim to us the gospel, Lord, boldly and mightily. We ask that our eyes and ears would be open to receive what you would speak to us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the most important expressions of worship that I've ever seen was in a place called Granada, Nicaragua, where my daughter was on Christian mission for a year right out of high school. She had taken me down one day to Central Park, which is like so many towns, right in the middle of town. And at one end of the town was the Basilica. And uh, throughout the park, there was the normal activities of a park in in, uh, Latin America. There were vendors, there were food stands, there were kids playing, there was all this activity. But, But here and there... Out in the street over there, and even going up the steps of the cathedral, I saw individuals, maybe a woman, maybe a man, crawling on their hands and knees. Crawling on their hands and knees. There were 20 or 30 of them went out there, and I said to Sarah, what, what is that? She said, they're like that all the time. There's people here like that all the time. I'm like, why? What? I mean, what are they doing? And she says, well, I could tell you, but you should really go experience it. So we walked up behind one of the men that were climbing across this rocky cobblestone stuff. I mean, they, their hands were dirty, their knees were dirty, and their, their heads were kind of down. And, and, and she said, just get behind him and listen, Dad. And as this man was, client, was, was crawling, and I could see the others were doing the same thing, he kept saying, perdón, perdón, perdón. Anybody speak Spanish? Pardon pardon, forgive me. They had humbled themselves in such a way that they didn't feel that they were even of a character where they could walk in an erect nature, in in an upright position into the cathedral. They were going to ask 
for forgiveness. They were asking for forgiveness, sometimes for a block or three on, on their knees. And I've, I've been to, since then, I've seen it in Mexico where they, they go sometimes miles of people crawling, their hands and knees getting bloody because they know they're in such deep need of perdón, pardon, of forgiveness. Do you need that today? Do you need forgiveness today? One of the great ancients said, forgiveness is humanity's greatest need and most significant accomplishment. Do you need forgiveness today? See, King David says we do. Psalm 51, where Pastor Keith just read a few moments ago, he begins this lament, and what he does is he lists all the things. He says, Lord, I, I, I come to you with my transgressions, with, with my iniquities, with my sins, with, with my evil, because he knows what we know. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all short, fall short of the perfection that God gave us to attain. You remember in, in the scriptures it says, in the beginning God created us, male and female he created us, he breathed the breath of God and he created us how? How did he create us? In his image. So, so perfection is available to us. And yet, and yet, we fall short. So do you, do you need forgiveness? Ecclesiastes 7 says this. Indeed, there is no one. That includes everybody. There is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. Do you have that within you? You know, I know we're all special. Our moms told us so. Or maybe somebody along the line did. We're all special, we're all individual and unique people, and yet we all fit into this. None of us is right and never sins. In John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 1, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is, is not within us. If, if we say, I'm without sin, if we say, oh, I, I'm, I'm good, I, I can't think of a single thing I've done wrong. You're not paying very close attention to your life, if that's true. Because you deceive first yourself, and secondly, you're trying to deceive God. In Psalm 51, it says this, in in what Keith read a few moments ago. And this is where our sin is, is targeted. Against you, talking to God. Against you, you only. So remember, all of our sins have the same target. We think we're doing them for our own benefit. We think that we're, that we're doing what we know is not right in the eyes of God so that we can escape something. But understand where the target of all sin is. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I've fallen short of what you made me for, God, so I, I fall short. So, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. What that means is, if we got what we deserve... I have a friend named Jim King. He starts half of his sermons this way. If we get what we deserve, we all go to hell. That's harsh. And that's biblical. You're justified when you judge. But Psalm 51 tells us over and over again that there's an ugliness within us. That ugliness damages our relationship with God. And because of that, we have great need. 
Because of that ugliness, we have great need, which is why David goes on to say and, and make this plea. He doesn't plead for himself to become a better person. He doesn't plead for himself to become good. He doesn't see that if he just does the right things, all things will, will be well. No, he pleads for God's mercy. He says, I need your mercy, God. I need your unfailing love. I need your cleansing. I need your renewal. We cannot fix the problem of our own sins. If we could fix the problem of our own sins, we'd have already done it. Amen? A better amen. There you go. I just want to make sure that you're not, you know, I always judge my congregation by how many cell phones they're watching. So you guys are looking good right now. If we could fix our own problems, we'd done it. And if we could earn our forgiveness, we'd have done it. But we can't pay for our forgiveness. We can't get it on any measure by ourselves. And yet, and hear this, it's available to you. We don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to talk about the need for our forgiveness. But I want to tell you, it is available for you by faith through the grace and mercy of God. You know, I really just, for a month, for a month, I've known that all I needed to come by and share with you today is this. Is that God desires to forgive you every day. And we're going to take a moment. I don't know why you came today. I really don't. We always know why congregations come, but we don't know why individuals come to worship. That's all individual to you. But I know why I came by. I came to share with you that if you're desiring forgiveness, it is here and available for you right now. It's available to you, by the way, on the way in your car, at your office, where the place you work. And I'm here to encourage you. Because, you know, we love you. To receive that forgiveness. To receive the forgiveness that God offers you, even now, and even here. That's why we had Barry and Lauren sing this song, Depth of Mercy, because we wanted you to see the depth of God's mercy. And if you, if you kind of drift off, you can turn to page 355 in the hymnal, because that's what they were singing, Depth of God's Mercy. So, so I want to share with you as, we, as we're really getting to roll here is, what, what is necessary? People always ask me, Pastor Mike, what must I do to be forgiven? What, what, what's necessary for forgiveness? Well, the first thing that's necessary for forgiveness is nothing that we can do. It's sacrifice. Forgiveness, repayment for forgiveness always takes sacrifice. Because the price of forgiveness is high. The the mess that we've made of our lives is significant. So to clean that up, the cost is high. In Romans chapter 6, Paul writes this, For the wages of sin is death. Now wages is what you get paid for what you did, right? That's what that means. So don't miss that when you see it on Highway 13 or something. Wages is what you get for what you've done. That's what fair is. You know, we want a fair wage and all that. So the wages of sin, that is to say the wages of much of our behavior, is what? Is death. But, my favorite words in scriptures, but the gift of God, which means we're turning everything. This is what we deserve and this is what God is going to give us. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you write down the list of what you have done and parallel it to what you deserve for that, the neat thing, neat thing, I don't use that word very often. The awesome thing about God is they don't match because you don't get what you deserve and neither do I. And I don't deserve the best and neither do you. And yet we get it. And yet we get it. 1 John chapter 2 tells us how this sacrifice is made. He, meaning Jesus, 
is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. A real quick lesson in theology. Atoning means just that word, cut it in half, at one. We are put at one with God. That the, the sacrifice of God puts us at one with Him, and the sacrifice is Jesus Christ our Lord. The atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only our sins, but the whole world, comes to us through Jesus Christ. This is what God pays. What does God pay? What is the sacrifice He gave? He gave His only Son. I've got two kids. It would be hard. Let me, let me tell you this. I mean this in love. It would be hard for me to give either one of them for you. And I would suspect if you have kids, it would be hard for you to give any of them for me. And yet this is what God does. The atoning sacrifice for our sins is that he gives his son for you. Astonishing. Mind-blowing. And believable. Peter, one of Jesus' great friends, writes this. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Now, get this verbiage up here. The righteous, the perfect Jesus, for the unrighteous. That's us. For what purpose? To bring you to God. The wronged, the wronged Jesus, we've done wrong to him. We've treated him unfairly. We've put, let our ugliness emerge from our spirits and put a wedge between him and us. We've harmed him, the wronged, sacrifice for the one that's wrong. The one that we're doing harm to sacrifices for us. There's always sacrifice when you talk about the need for forgiveness. Second, what's necessary for, forgive, for forgiveness is the forgiveness of others. Now, we don't like to talk about that, and I certainly have some long conversations about this, but let's understand what the Scripture says. In Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, it says, For if, and I'm going to remind you throughout this, for if, the if is yours, the if is ours. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if, again, that's for you and for me, you do not forgive, this is an asked and answered. If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. But if you do not forgive your sins, they will not be forgiven from you, of you by the Father either. Ephesians 4, 32 puts it in languages that maybe is more contemporary. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ, just as in Jesus Christ, God forgave you. I'm going to put it simply. The forgiven forgive. You ever want to write down a note from this sermon that, about this? That's it. The forgiven, forgive. Now this was really important and I've spent a lot of time on how hard it is to forgive others and that sort of thing in previous weeks. And we're not going to spend much time here. But understand that it is necessary for forgiveness for us to forgive others. I really want to concentrate today. The only thing that's where God is leading me to is on what God pours down, what he showers down upon us in his mercy. The third thing that's necessary for forgiveness is the confession of sins. We must admit to God our sins if we want our relationship to be completely restored with him. You won't shock God. So many times I've had people come to me in, in search, certain situations and say, Pastor, I need to tell you something, but I want to tell you, you're going to be shocked. I'm like, you know, look at the gray hair. Shock is too late. That happened a long time ago. 
And I'm in my 50s, and God is in his what? Billions? You're not going to shock God. The other reason you won't shock God is he already knows. You know, he was there when it happened. Whatever you've gone to repent with God, I mean, think about that. Think about some of the stuff you do think and say. And, and you believe God is with us always. There's nothing that can separate us from God. God's our stronghold and strength and all those kind of things. And yet, in our weakest moments, our worst moments, there's God right beside us. So when we go to confess to him, God never says, oh, whoa, I did not know that about you, Mike. Right? Nah. With arms wide open, he, he reaches to us. See, God already knows And what we need to believe is that he does. We need to believe that God already knows our our sins so that when we say them, we're activating the life and love that he has. If you can confess it, you can be forgiven of it. I think that's cool. I don't know if I wrote that, but I wrote it in here. If you can confess it, you can be forgiven of it. In John, 1 John 1, 9, it says this, and concentrate on the ifs again. If, if we confess our sins, he, see this is a cause and response. <clears throat> if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will, and will, that's definitive, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, there is no sin too great. For God to forgive. You hear what I'm saying? There is no sin too great for God to forgive. He doesn't say, ooh, that one's too bad. I'm, I'm a, no. There's no sin that if you confess it, he won't forgive it. See, and forgiveness, when you look at that, he's going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is not offered in installment payments. He doesn't say to you, God doesn't say, well, I'm just going to give you a percentage of the forgiveness you need right now. I know that that's really been troubling you. I know that that's been carrying on your heart. I know that you want to relieve it, but I'm going to forgive half of it today. And if you come back tomorrow, I'll give you the rest of it. He doesn't do that in percentages. He doesn't forgive you in installments. He doesn't forgive you in increments. God forgives you completely. He, if you confess your sins, he purifies you from, for all unrighteousness. And the only sin, write this down in your mind. The only sin that God can't forgive is the one you don't take to him. The only sin that God can't forgive is the one that you won't take to him. He knows about it. He just needs you to believe in him enough to tell him about it. To expose yourself and say, I, I really do want to be done with this. And, and, and the fourth thing we need for forgiveness that's necessary for forgiveness is repentance. You know, you confess your sin, which is to say you, you unload it. You, you say what it is that you've done wrong. And repentance indicates a turn. It, 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 it indicates a, a movement from the direction you've been. It, it means that we decide to turn from our sins and decide to, to, to do a new way. And you've seen me tell you this, and I'm going to tell you this again because if I said it once, I've said it a hundred times, and yet you need to hear it a hundred times more. One of the great things that we're good at in, in Methodism, in, in North American Christianity in general, is to bring, come down here to the altar and either wait at communion or pray or something like that, and we put our sins at the foot of God's altar. We say, truly, God, that stuff I've been thinking about, that stuff that's been troubling me, that stuff that I've done, to put a wedge between you and me, the stuff that, 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 that is evil in my heart, I put it down at your altar. I put it down at your altar because you've told me you will take it from me if I do so. 
And we begin to walk away from that, at least spiritually or psychologically. But yet, we're not so sure. And we turn back and say, no, you know, I can take, I'll take this with me. That's not how it's supposed to go. When you repent of something, you leave it and you turn another way. When you confess your sins, your repentance is doing something differently. It's by God's grace having those sins cleaned out so you are prepared to go a new way. When you come today, and I pray you will, spiritually just leave your sins up here. Just walk away. Just leave them and walk away. Don't ever look back. You know, there's some great benefits to forgiveness too. I think forgiveness has great benefits. The, the first of what's primarily one is happiness. When you know you've been released, you are free. When you have had shackles taken off you, that's awesome. Look what it says in the Psalms. Oh, what joy. Oh, what joy. You know, we just sang, oh, what joy that fills my soul. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. You got to live in complete honesty. You know, I just tell youth, so the best way to live is just be truthful and honest because then you don't have to remember what you said because you just can tell what you did. That's the truth. That's what happened. How wonderful it is if, if you can live in a place that you're so forgiven that you can be authentic in your honesty because, see, God keeps no record of sins. I, I got to tell you, if we had a whiteboard up here, you know, if we had a whiteboard up here and we had Jesus with a pen, and uh, he looked down and he saw Ron was coming to church today. And he just started writing Ron Knapp's sins down. <laughs> I got to tell you, as much as Ron loves his church, he's not going to be here that day, is he? If all those sins are written before us. But I got to tell you what, here's the thing. Not just about Ron. I'm teasing him because he's my friend. But about all of us. No matter how much Jesus got. I mean, you know, Jesus, you know, some of us, he's writing columns out. And then he's writing up and down in the gaps. And he's adding stuff as we go. And if you go to Jesus and say, I completely and honestly ask for forgiveness. I confess all my sins. He wipes that board clean. Completely clean. There's no evidence that there was anything ever written on it. Even though it had your name at the top of the board. There's not one sin that is kept there on its record. Because when you're forgiven, you're forgotten. Your sins are forgotten. Look what it says in Isaiah. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and never think of them again. How terrible are we at that? And yet Jesus promises that if he forgives you, he's going to forget about it. We have a hard time saying, well, I can, we, we say, there's even a thing in our culture. Oh, I can forgive, but I can't forget. And Jesus says, I forgive and forget. Because that's what you need. And that's what I want to give you. And that's what will restore you completely and potently. When the Lord looks at us, He doesn't see our sins. Because He forgave them of us. He removed them from us. So He forgets. And, and God, when, God completely removes our sins from us. He, he, he removes them. There's, you know, it's not like uh, some infomercial, you know. You ever, I, I remember a few years ago, did you ever buy that kaboom? Kaboom! 
You know, you put it on everything from mustard stain to your mother-in-law. Kaboom, it's gone. No, sorry, I'm just kidding. See now, see what I have to repent of this afternoon. But you don't need any elbow grease on this. You don't need any scrubbing and stains are gone. Let me tell you, when God removes sins, he does all the work. Psalm 103 says, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And because of that, we can forgive ourselves. Are you hearing me? Because of that, we can forgive ourselves. So many Christians that I've met, I'm talking about Christians, I'm not just talking about people in the culture. So many Christians I've met are living defeated lives because they're hanging on to their past. They're hanging on to something that happened. Well, in this congregation, it would be appropriate. They're hanging on to something that happened back in the 19s. That's what the kids call the last century. Back in the 19s. We're hanging on to something that happened last week. We're, happened some, we're hanging on to something that happened in a relationship that's, that's long ago. And because of that, we're, we're allowing ourselves to get defeated. And, and what I want to remind you of is so many Christians see their sins so much more clearly than they see the solution to their sins. And the solution to your sins is right in front of you every single day. The solution to your sins and my sins is the blood of Jesus Christ and it's present and available for you for every single day. Let it take the stain of sin off you. Live not for yesterday. Because I can tell you for sure I can do nothing about Saturday. But I have a lot of ability to do something about Sunday and that which is to come. That's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Look at those words. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Because that's where you can do some good. You forget the past and look what's come. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. Understand this. You are forgiven. Your life and your mission is in front of you. It's not behind you. You might have done some great things. You might have done some terrible things behind you. But you can't do anything about any of them. What's in front of you, and it doesn't matter. By the way, I, I, I get annoyed when people tell me they're a certain age. Oh, I'm just a kid. I can't do anything. Or I'm, or I'm too old. Or I'm the, Your mission is always out in front of you. What you've accomplished, you've accomplished. What you've done wrong, you've done wrong. But your mission is out in front of you. It's never behind you. And that mission, if you receive the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers you, is cleansed. It's forgiven, it's real. You know, in Luke chapter 15, there's this parable. You know the parable, but let me give you a little background on it. There, there's this parable that we call the parable of the prodigal son. We, we say it that way because we understand it in our culture that way, that there's this, this father, he's wealthy, really wealthy, and he's got two sons. And these one's older, and in the Jewish culture, that one's the one that's getting the inheritance, 66.5% of it, or 66 and two-thirds percent of it. The younger son's going to get a third of it. He's going to get a third of the, of the inheritance. And so he's, he's frustrated by that. He doesn't like his older brother. He's always bossing around. And he says, Dad, I want the money. I want what's offered to me. And so he goes, and, and, this, and the father gives it to him, and he goes to another land, and he abuses all of it. He, he wasted on wild living and all that kind of stuff, and you guys know the story. And so he decides when he's feeding pigs, he's a Jewish guy feeding pigs, lowest place you can get, 
slopping and feeding pigs, he says, I, I'd be better off eating what the pigs have. I, I'd rather be a servant in my father's house than doing this. Now, here's what happens. So he heads home. And when he's way across this field, his father sees him. Now, let me take you to a different place on this story that you've ever been before, maybe. In certain Eastern cultures, it's simply true that two miracles happen here. One is that the father runs. Because dignified people do not run in Eastern cultures. They would never run because it's an embarrassment to their person and to their privilege within the community. But this man runs. He runs towards his son. And you want to know why in that very same culture? Because, see, the son had done him wrong. The son had shamed the father. The son had abused the father. So it was a responsibility of the friends of the father. It was a responsibility of the community to make sure that that boy never got back to his father so that as soon as they saw him, they were supposed to do away with him, to treat him shamefully, to kill him. So when the father saw him... He knew the needs of the boy. He knew the peril the boy was in. He knew the broken was to him. And he ran to him. He ran to him to protect him from all that he deserved. And he's running towards you too. He knows you. And he runs towards you. To protect you from all that you deserve. And to give you a fresh life and a fresh start. You know, you need to know. You need to know that. You need to believe that. You need to receive that. And in, in a moment, I'm going to invite you, all of you, to, to come to the altar and experiment, you know, and have an experience, uh, you know, a moment that, that really points you to, to the reality that I've, I, I'm talking about. The reality that if you desire, if you're willing to truly confess your sins and repent, that through the grace of God, you can be forgiven. You know, sometimes we just need to see and feel what we believe. Some, sometimes we, we, we need to see and feel that which is most important to us. We're, we're three-dimensional. We, we like to touch and feel and see and, and taste. We like to have those things that help us really get a hold of the deeper realities in our lives. I mean, that's why I wear a wedding wing, is, is to, to get a hold of all the time of the deeper reality that I'm married and glad I'm married. That's why some of you are going to be wearing red, white, and blue this next week, because we want to really, you know, we want to tangibly say that we're Americans, we're, we're, we're citizens of the United States, and we love that. And in the Christian church, you know that we do that. We have tangible symbols that we use with some frequency. I mean, we hold bread here to represent the body of Christ that we can't ever hug with our own lives, but we can have it in our hands when we come forward at communion and we can taste that juice that we use to represent the atoning blood that, that Jesus has pushed on us and in our lives. And, and we use baptism, you know, water at baptism. To, 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 to That little water that we put on the baby's head, it's, it's, it's dry before they go back to their seats. Or that water that we put on an adult's head, we know that it's dry before they leave the building, but we pray that that tangible symbol reminds them that they got to walk wet, that they have to walk in the faith of Jesus Christ. So today at the altar, we have something really simple, something really clear. Maybe it's a moment that you've been needing. Maybe it's something that pastor's just asking you to do, I don't know, but today we're going to give you something to hold on to. So a week or so ago, I went out and bought a bunch of Simple little garden rocks. Just white garden rocks. A $3 bag at Walmart. I'm Methodist. 
And we have this whole, these tables up here of garden rocks. And they're all different, you know. They're, they're very different because you're all different. Some of them have rough edges. Mine has rough edges because I know I have some. And those rough edges remind me that the work of my life, that the work that God has in me is not yet done. Not here. But I got them all white. They're all as white as I could find anyway. Washed them off in my driveway and cared for them. To represent the cleansing that Christ gives to you. So I'm going to ask these guys to sing this second verse. And I'm going to ask you to prepare to come to the altar before we call you. Now, I don't know what you're going to use your rock for. Some of you will put them on the dashboard of your car or your jewelry box. A couple of you will probably throw them in the garden on the way out of the church. That's really not the point. These, there's no magic in these rocks. They're just a reminder. There's something that you can grab hold of and say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of everything that I've done. And thank you for giving me the understanding that if I come to you, you'll forgive me of everything that I'm going to do. Now, I'm going to ask Vicki and Keith to, to go now. I'm going to actually send them to the prayer room in the chapel. And so if you have something that you want to pray with them about after the service is concluded, because this is the end of our service, and as long as you pray, you can stay. But when you have your rock, if you want to, but let this be your moment. It's been provided for you. Don't let it go by if you need it. Don't let it go by if it's something that you've been craving for a long time. Don't, don't, don't let it pass by and say tomorrow afternoon, Oh, I wish I'd thrown my whole heart into that. Because the Lord was offering you forgiveness this morning and a symbol of it. Just like the father who ran towards his son. The Lord is running to you. And when you're ready, run to him. Okay, okay.